You're listening to the St. John's Diamond Creek podcast, recorded live each Sunday at St. John's Anglican Church, Diamond Creek. This episode presented by Senior Minister Tim Johnson. Good morning, everyone. My name is Tim Johnson. I'm the Senior Minister here at St. John's. Uh, and it's a great privilege to be looking at God's Word with you this morning as we begin a new series uh, working through uh, 1 John. Uh, I'd love you to have your Bibles open. It's on page 985, uh, the Bibles in front of you, uh, as we look at this passage together uh, and unpack uh, what it has to say to us. Now, how can you be confident that what you know about God is true? Uh, I was asked that question by a, a guy I met. Uh, I was doing some outreach uh, work, and uh, his key question was, how can you be sure that what you think you know about God is actually correct? There's so many claims about God. There's so, different, so many different viewpoints on uh, what God is like. How can you have confidence that the things that you believe about God and the things that you're trying to tell me about God, that they're actually true? Uh, That's a pretty good point that he made, uh, and I told him that. Uh, But I said to him, actually, the problem that you're uh, pointing out is even bigger uh, than you have acknowledged. You see, God is so big, so great, uh, so distinct from humans, uh, that you can't actually know anything about God at all. Uh, Unless, of course, God chooses to tell us and to show us something of what he's like. That's the only way that we can know anything really about God and have confidence uh, in who he is. Uh, We're starting this new series today, as uh, Robin pointed out, called Walk in the Light, uh, where we're going to work through this book of 1 John, uh, written by the Apostle John, one of Jesus' uh, 12 disciples. Uh, And John wants to speak to us through this letter as someone who has been there with Jesus, who has seen him and heard what he has to say, and he's sharing this with us so that we too can know the truth about Jesus and what he reveals of God uh, to us. Uh, This is not just some intellectual exercise either so that we can have right ideas about God and uh, feel great that we understand uh, God. No, the truth that we learn about God has to shape the way that we live, Um, which is why this series is called Walk in the Light. Uh, John's going to speak about wanting us to live in the right way in light of God and who God is and what he has revealed to us. Uh, So as I said, have your Bibles open there as we have a look at at 1 John, uh, and we start at at the first verse there, where John speaks about Jesus who he calls the word of life, uh, in verse 1. There's lots of parallels uh, when you read this letter between this and John's gospel. Uh, Sue quoted uh, to us from John 8. uh, And there's lots of parts when you read 1 John that it reminds you of the things that you read in John's gospel, where John outlines the events of Jesus' life. And in particular, uh, John chapter 1, which we often read at Christmas time about the incarnation Uh, God the Son taking on human flesh coming into our world, there's a lot of echoes and resonances between what we read here uh, and that first chapter of John. John's Gospel speaks about the Word 
who was with God and was with God in the beginning, was God in, from the beginning, and who becomes flesh and dwells with us. Uh, and here in 1 John, this letter, he speaks about the word of life or the life or the eternal life. He changes those terms. Uh, and he speaks about this word of life who is with the Father and who is revealed to us. Uh, John's recording uh, for us here, that which was from the beginning, he says. Uh, again, uh, echoing what he says in his gospel. There's a strong harmony and a continuity of messages in both of these works. But the main point of the first uh, four vo- verses here uh, that John writes is to show us that we can have confidence in what John is saying about Jesus. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our own eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. So John is writing as an eyewitness uh, to Jesus' life and ministry. Uh, He uses we here because I think he's saying, he's numbering himself alongside the other disciples, the other people who walked with Jesus, who heard Jesus' message, who touched Jesus and were there, who were his close companions and witnessed all that he did and said. Uh, And John is saying, I'm able to pass this on to you because I was actually there. Do you notice all the references to the senses in these verses? He's speaking about what he's heard, what he's seen and what he's touched. He's saying, look, the truth about Jesus is not just some speculative theory, something that we've dreamed up in our heads. Uh, It is a concrete historical reality. It is anchored in time and space. He was a real person who dwelt in a real place, first century Palestine. His teachings were heard and were recorded. His deeds and his miracles were seen and witnessed. His death and his resurrection were tangible, physical events. John is saying... I was there, I heard it, I saw him, I touched him, and I'm passing it on to you so that you can know it too and know that it's true. He wants us to be confident in the things that we know about Jesus. You see, what Christians believe about God and about the world and about ourselves is not based on theory or philosophy or speculation. It's grounded on and based in the person of Jesus Christ. So I don't know what you answer. If someone asks you the question, why do you believe that there is a God? How do you go about answering that when someone asks you that question? See, we could speak about the design of the universe, how fine-tuned our universe is with all of the the physical constants working together, uh, showing that there must have been a designer, it must have been planned. We can speak about that. Uh, We could speak about the fact that there is this almost universal belief uh, through cultures across the world and through times in the existence of God, that there's something in human culture that believes in the existence of God uh, through time and through cultures. Uh, We could speak about morality and conscience and how there seems to be this ingrained sense of right uh, and wrong as evidence of God. Uh, We could do all of those things, but for me, those are sort of secondary answers because my main reason for believing that God exists is the person of Jesus Christ who lived on this earth and who revealed God to us 
through his words and his actions. That's ultimately why I believe that God exists, uh, backed up and supplemented by these, these other sort of arguments for God's existence. But because of Jesus, he's been seen, he's been heard, he's been touched. God has been in our midst in the person of Jesus Christ. But how do we know the truth of that historical reality? You see, I wasn't there to see Jesus, to hear him, or to touch him for myself. No, at this point, we're dependent, like the recipients of this letter, on the eyewitness testimony of the apostles like John. John says that he was there and he declares and testifies to what he saw. Uh, And we have access to Jesus through the witness of the apostles, the disciples, which they recorded for us in the Bible. So we need their testimony and their witness. Now, of course, the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives uh, illuminates this truth, testifies to us, and we experience this truth in our own personal relationship with Jesus. We experience that it is, is true in our own lives. But the point of connection comes through the witness of the apostles like John who describe what Jesus says and who pass it on to us. Uh, So in the Nicene Creed, uh, which we often say together in our church services, uh, there's a line that we speak together where we say, I believe in one holy, Catholic and apostolic church. Uh, And what we mean when we say we believe in an apostolic church is that we believe in a church which is built on the foundation of the apostles, these first witnesses to Jesus who pass that on to us uh, in their writings through the scriptures. Uh, Last week when we were talking uh, from Ephesians 2 about the basis for the church, and I I quoted in the kids' talk the fact that that Jesus himself is the cornerstone, the church itself is, is built on Jesus, the cornerstone, Um, That passage also speaks about Jesus is the cornerstone, but the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. It is their teaching that they pass on to us about Jesus, which the church is founded on. And if we abandon their witness, the apostolic witness, if we abandon the Bible, then we're abandoning these eyewitness connections to Jesus. And we'll fall into error because what we believe about the person and work of Jesus um, will be separated from the people who saw him and who are passing that on directly to us. Christian faith is based on factual, historical evidence in the person of Jesus Christ, and we should have confidence in that. But we need to listen to the, the witness of the apostles like John written down for us in the Bible, the biblical eyewitness accounts, to show us, to bring us back and to continually remind us about the truth about Jesus. So that's the basis on which uh, John is writing. That's the first four, four verses, which are really an introduction to give us confidence about everything else that he's going to go on to say. Uh, and having established his credentials as a witness to Jesus in the first four verses, he goes on to explain something of what Jesus' message was in the next part. Uh, So in verse 5, he says, This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. 
Now, the Bible uses uh, images of light quite often, and it uses those images in a variety of different ways. Uh, Light can be about guiding us and showing us the direction. But I think here, the focus of the image is in reference to uh, morality and and purity and, and holiness. To say that God is light means that God is stunningly and absolutely, perfectly, morally pure. He is holy. There is no moral imperfection. There is no sin. There is no blemish in him at all. Uh, It's an important description of God as we understand who God is. Um, It's not as often quoted as another description of God in this letter. So later in this letter, as we'll come to, uh, John also says of God that God is love. Uh, And that gets quoted a lot uh, as we think about this letter, that God is love. But both of these things are true, and both of them need to be held together. God is love, and God is light. God is both perfectly loving and gracious and kind and good, and God is also perfectly holy, morally pure, absolutely without blemish. He cannot tolerate sin and he cannot countenance at all and yet he is perfectly loving and he acts in order to forgive and cleanse sin. Uh, And the the way that we can hold those two things together, that God is both light and love, is the fact that Jesus himself deals with our sins and allows us to be in relationship with God. But we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves there. What's important for us is to remember and to uphold these truths about God, that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. He is morally perfect. He hates sin and there is no place for it with him. Uh, And John uh, goes on to say that that has important implications for the way that we live. This truth about God revealed through Jesus impacts the way that we should live our lives. Uh, And from verse 6, the implications flow. If you want to understand how this, how this passage works, the structure of it revolves around certain claims that people might make which are untrue, mistakes that we might uh, live out. Uh, and the way that they are uh, expressed in this passage is by three statements which each begin with the words, if we claim. You can see it there at the start of verse 6, at the start of verse 8, and at the start of verse 10. And through these three expressions, John is laying out two mistakes that need correcting. Uh, Most likely, these are things that are going on in the context that he's writing to. There's a context there where uh, a group of people seem to have walked away from the church. It's created uncertainty within the context there where people are saying, well, do we actually know the truth about God? This group of people are saying different things. They've, They've walked out and they've established a new church. How can we be confident Uh, in what we know and how we should live. And so in each case, John is pointing out errors in saying these things and showing us how we should live rightly uh, in contrast to this false teaching. So uh, verse 6, he says, If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. So the error here, the mistake that can be made is claiming to have a relationship with God, to be in fellowship with him, 
and yet continuing to walk in darkness, to persist uh, in willful sin. So there's a mismatch here between word and action. Now, the logic makes sense, doesn't it? God is light. He is absolutely morally pure. He is without blemish. And if we say, well, we're united with him, we're in relationship with him, I am connected with this God who is light and who is perfect, who is morally pure, and yet we live in a way which is inconsistent with that, those two things go against each other, don't they? And John says, if, if this is our pattern, if this is what we're doing, then we're living a lie, we're, we're speaking what is untrue because we're claiming to be in this relationship with God, but we're not living it out uh, in our actions. We're sort of being hypocritical, or we're not being consistent. He says, in contrast, the right way to live in verse 7, uh, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Uh, so if we live in the way that God wants us to, walking in the light, consistently living out God's commands and principles, then we'll have fellowship. Uh, we'd expect him to say fellowship with God, wouldn't we? But he doesn't. He says we'll have fellowship with one another. Um, there's a few times in this passage where uh, John surprises us by speaking about fellowship with each other other than God. And of course, the two are connected because Christians have fellowship with each other through Jesus Christ. And we're all connected with him and therefore linked with each other. But it seems like John bypasses a step here and just talks about our fellowship with each other. If we walk in the right way, then it will unite us together in our fellowship. And it's most likely because of the issues, again, that there's been a split in the church that he's writing to. The key issue is being in fellowship with each other. Um, and there's been broken relationships that people are worried about how we deal with that. So John's emphasising the way that we need to live God's way and to be in fellowship with each other. And he's going to have a lot more to say about that later in the letter. But the challenge here uh, for the readers, original readers, and for us, is to continue to walk in the light as God is in the light, rather than to persist in sin and so walk in darkness in contrast to the ways of God. Now, at this point, some of you are worried because you're worried because you're very conscious of particular sins that you're wrestling with in your own life. Um, things that you maybe you've been trying to root out for a while, things that you've wrestled with and struggled with, uh, things that are just sitting heavily on your conscience and you just haven't been able to get rid of. They keep coming back persistently and troublingly uh, and they're sitting there. Uh, you're very conscious of the areas in your life that are not pleasing to God. Uh, and as you're hearing these words, you're sitting there feeling very condemned uh, and struggling with those sin. And you're thinking to yourself, maybe my whole belief that I'm in relationship with God is a lie because of these sins that I just don't seem to get rid of or these things that I'm very conscious in my life that are wrong. Does that mean, is what John's saying, that I'm out of fellowship with God and I don't actually have a relationship with God because of these things? But listen carefully to what John says there in verse 7. He says, But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, 
his son purifies us from all sin. That last phrase is is absolutely crucial. The blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us or cleanses us from all sin. Um, If what John meant by walking in the light here meant that we'd got rid of every single sin in our life, then he wouldn't need to say that, would he? He wouldn't need to speak about the fact that the blood of Jesus purifies us or cleanses us from sin. Walking in the light means living deliberately and consistently in the way of God, but we will all still fail at times, and we can have confidence that God forgives us when we fail through Jesus Christ. In fact, as he goes on to say, if we claim that we've completely dealt with sin and that it's not a problem, that in itself is an error. So verse 8 says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Uh, And in verse 10, if we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. These two if we claim statements, I think are describing the same error, claiming that there's no sin in our lives, that we've got rid of it all. It's a mistake, John says, because we don't actually know ourselves. He says, if you say this, then you're deceiving yourself. You don't really know your own life and uh, the depths of sin that exist in all of us. You're not really being honest about what's happening in your life. So it's a mistake and you're deceiving yourself, he says. But he says it's also a mistake because by claiming that you are without sin, you're making God out to be a liar, verse 10. Uh, Because the Bible is quite clear on the universal problem of sin, that every human being struggles with sin, lives in ways which are inconsistent with the way that God would want us to live. And so to claim that we're not affected by sin says, is a way of saying to God, God, you're wrong. I know you say that all human beings uh, don't live perfectly, um, but I'm an exception uh, to that rule. He says, you're making God out to be a liar if you claim that. Now, you might say, who would possibly claim that they are without sin? Often we're so conscious of the things we do wrong, the, the words that we speak in anger or the things that we wrestle with in our life. You sort of think, who could possibly claim that they are without sin? But this is an error that has hounded and damaged the church um, continually. Uh, and it's an error that exists uh, right now uh, on our doorstep, really. Uh, the claim to be without sin is, is sometimes called sinless perfectionism. You might have heard this term where there's are people to say, who claim that they are sinlessly uh, perfect. Uh, where there are people within churches who say, look, we, we've moved beyond this problem of being hampered by sin. Uh, sometimes it's because they claim we've received a, a special blessing of the Holy Spirit or we've attained a level of godliness where this is no longer a problem. Um, uh, we who have dealt with sin and are, are perfect from sin are, are kind of the true believers and we separate ourselves Uh, from the others who still wrestle with sin and and break relationship uh, with other Christians, even within families. Uh, In the church uh, that I was at before coming here, um, this had been a massive problem where uh, during the 1980s, 
uh, a group within the church developed where they held to these views, and one Sunday, they just weren't there. An entire group had just disappeared from the congregation. It'd be like turning up and you realise that, you know, uh, 50 people or 100 people from across our congregations have left the church, established their own community because they are the ones who have dealt with sin and they can't any longer be with the rest of uh, the church who are still struggling and wrestling with sin. Uh, it resulted in, uh, in family splits because members of families left uh, and turned away, couldn't be in contact or relationship with the rest of the family uh, because they had to be sort of living uh, together in this community. Um, uh, it's, called, uh, it's a group called The Fellowship, and it still exists uh, in Melbourne uh, today. Um, and it's still an issue. A minister friend of mine rang me earlier this year to ask my advice because he had something like this developing in his church. Um, and he was saying, I'm, I'm hearing these people say that they're, they're without sin or that they, there's no longer a problem with sin. They're living this life. Um, and so while this might sound strange and bizarre, it is a problem that hampers churches. Um, this book published uh, not that long ago by Morag Schwartz called Fractured Families tells the story of this group within Melbourne uh, which has done this. Uh, so even though this may not be a problem here, I can't uh, come to a passage like this without highlighting it and saying this, that if you are ever in a church or in a life group or surrounded by a group of people where there is this claim, that people are claiming that they are without sin, you need to oppose it to the utmost. It is so damaging to the life of the church. Um, those people are self-deceived if they're claiming that. And as John says, they're also calling God a liar. All of us continue to wrestle with sin. It'll be a problem until Jesus comes again or until we die and go to be with him. So if that's the case, that all of us still wrestle with sin, that none of us have moved beyond the problem of sin, what's the right response? Well, John's got it there in verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. The solution, John says, is constant confession. Uh, acknowledging that sin does exist in our lives, being honest about it, and laying it before God, naming it before him, and receiving his forgiveness. Uh, it's a way of constantly reviewing our lives, acknowledging the reality of sin that is there, but dealing with it before God. Uh, one of the great strengths of Anglican worship is that confession of sin and assurance of forgiveness is a regular part of our gathering together. It's, it's built into our worship. When we meet together, we say to God, we have failed, we have fallen short, we're not perfect, and we all confess that together. We acknowledge that we are broken and sinful people. And at the same time, we hear words that remind us that we are forgiven and we are cleansed through Jesus Christ. It's not about wallowing in sin. It's about being honest about it and remembering that we receive the forgiveness that comes in Jesus Christ. Can you see here in what John's saying that it's, it's crucial to get the balance right as we deal with sin in our own lives? We can get it wrong by denying that there's a problem with sin at all. We can get it wrong by 
saying, I've got no sin in my life. Um, But we can get it wrong by being complacent about sin and thinking that it doesn't matter or thinking, well, I'll never be perfect so I shouldn't even bother trying. Neither's the right approach. John here is, is warning us against complacency. Who cares about sin? It doesn't matter. We all sin, so let's just get on with it and don't worry about it. But he's also warning us against despair as well. Look at his really careful pastoral advice in the final two verses, uh, John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, where, where he brings this together. And he speaks these words to us. I want you to hear them uh, pastorally to each of us. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the Righteous One. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. John is saying, do not sin. Do not sin. Work hard to root out sin from your life. Work hard to live consistently with God's ways. Work hard where you see that there is a problem and you're out of step with how God would have you live. Get rid of that sin, wrestle with it, defeat it. Uh, Work with others in Christian community to get rid of sin. Get rid of sin. Do not sin. Do not be complacent about it. God is light and we want to walk in God's way, walking in the light as he is in the light. Do not sin. But if you do sin, and when you do sin, don't despair because Jesus died on the cross to deal with our sin. He's the advocate who is standing there at the right hand of the Father speaking on our behalf and he offers us complete forgiveness through his atoning sacrifice, his death on the cross where he dealt with our sin once and for all and faced the punishment for it in our place. The right attitude to sin, the right attitude to Christian living requires us to hold both of these realities together. Not to be complacent with sin, to work hard to get rid of it, but also not to be despairing when we fail um, and think that there is no hope for us or no forgiveness for us because Jesus continually forgives us and cleanses us from our sins. So as I finish today, uh, here is my challenge uh, for each person here. Which of these are you more likely to do? I think some of us are wired more likely towards complacency, where we're sort of, oh, it doesn't matter, I'll never be perfect, and so we don't work that hard to get rid of sin out of our life. Uh, There's a danger of complacency and not taking sin seriously enough and not taking God seriously enough as God who is light and who is morally pure, and if we're walking in relationship with him, our lives need to match with who God is. So to the complacent amongst us who are more likely not to worry about these things, John is calling us to examine our lives and think about our behaviour in light of who God is and how we need to live. But there are others here who are more likely to despair, who are more likely to worry that God wouldn't want you because you're so conscious of your failings. Um, You might think that you're complacent because you have such a tender conscience and a tender heart and awareness of the failings that are there. 
but in actual fact, you're more likely to fall into despair and to worry that God would ever want you. Well, John wants to assure you that God does, that there is complete forgiveness for you in Jesus Christ, uh, that sin is a reality that we all need to wrestle with, but not to despair about it. God loves you and God sent his son Jesus into the world to die for you, to deal with your sins and to cleanse you from all the wrong that we do. The challenge for all of us in either of these camps is to continue to walk in the light as he is in the light and continue to come to God and receive the forgiveness that he offers in Jesus Christ. So let me pray for us. Father, help us uh, to examine our own lives as we come before you this morning. You know our hearts, you know our minds, you know the hidden depths of our lives that might be uh, secret from anyone else, but you see everything and you, you know us completely. Uh, if there are areas of sin in our lives, that are unacknowledged or we're aware of but it's not dealing with. We ask for your Holy Spirit to empower us and strengthen us to deal with these areas of sin, to have courage to root them out so that we continue to walk in the light as you are in the light. And Father, if there are those here today who are despairing of sin, if there are people here today who think that they are not good enough because of the failings in their life and that you would never accept them, uh, please reassure these people of your deep love for them, for your passionate commitment to them in the Lord Jesus Christ, whose death on the cross was for them and to draw them into relationship with you. As a church community, Lord, help us to be honest about our sin with each other, but constantly receiving together the forgiveness that comes in Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us. If you've got any questions about this podcast, connect with us on our website, stjohnsdc.org.au, or at facebook.com slash stjohnsdc. Don't forget, you can join us live in Diamond Creek every Sunday at 9.30am and 6pm.